Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Welcome to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, hey, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-hosts Tobias Wright and Mathen Black. We are America's talk radio show about opera, period. No one talks with you about opera week in, week out like we do. And what's more, on our show, you get to have your say live on the air. Call us, 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. And you can also leave us a message, 224-2189-BOX. Again, 224-2189-269. Well, this week in our Chalk Talk segment, we discuss a number of recent opera productions that made significant cuts to their respective scores, causing some consternation among musicians, critics, and audiences alike. So, who decides to make cuts? What's their reasoning, and how much does it really matter? We'll tell you everything you need to know. Then, at the bottom of the hour, our infamous opera pop quiz returns. Tobias and Mathen will compete to identify opera arias, but not by listening to them being sung, but rather by listening to them played on the piano. I guarantee you this is not as easy as it sounds. Plus, we've got all your opera headlines in the two-minute drill. So, let's do this. We are live. No edits, no filters. Kickoff is next. Keep it locked right here, right now. WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago, and Opera Box Score. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Here we are, Opera Box Score. George Cedarquist hosting the show along with Tobias Wright. I'm here. It's good to be back. I'm happy to have Mathen here. I gotta first of all give a huge shout out to Mathen Black joining us for the first time live in studio. That feels that feels weird, Mathen. I'm very excited for this. We've got fancy microphones. Getting to see uh, DJ George Cedarquist over here <laughs> rocking the boards. Giovanna uh, was in Lake Tahoe apparently mm-hmm. and was flying back today, and her flight got delayed. And classic Giovanna being on a vacation though. I know, really. And like, where does she not, not go? France, <laughs> Italy, Lake Tahoe. Come on. I She's know. been to like all the most beautiful places in the world, like in the last two months. She really has. She Quite. probably hasn't even told us about like her time in the Hamptons or like Cape Cod or something. <laughs> Super <laughs> jealous to say the least. And I'm here in a dark room with you, dudes. <laughs> I know, really. It's a, such a nasty evening out there. It, it literally feels like October. It really does without, you know, the the promise of Halloween right around the corner. It's raining. There's nobody around. Campus is totally dead. It was kind of actually, I, I thought it was a little bit beautiful walking through campus and it being quiet and rainy, but maybe I just. <laughs> That's a sign that I have a broken soul. Well, you're the silent, shy type, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> what have you been doing this summer, by the way? Me? Toby, I haven't seen you for like three weeks. Fill me in. Uh, you know, I've been working. I have some projects in the work. been singing yeah. a lot, and yeah. I'm excited for a bunch of upcoming gigs. And of course, like every other young singer in the world, it is definitely Yap season. And if you're a listener who just loves opera and isn't necessarily a performer, Yap is a young artist program. 
And it's that time of the year, so I'm kind of gearing up for that. But I've just been trying to live and love, man. He's doing his Toby thing, which no one can quell. Uh, and what's the Mathen thing? <laughs> what have you been doing, Mathen? Oh, having an absolutely wonderful summer. Actually, right now in contract with the Lyric Opera of Chicago with their Lyric Unlimited program, they're doing a um, um, an opera, new opera by a composer named Gregory Spears called Jason and the Argonauts that actually goes up this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, at the Vidim Theater. I think tickets may be sold out, but if you want to <laughs> take a peek, always go over to www.lyricopera.org and see what you can make happen. I can't believe that I, I missed my chance. To, to get a ticket for the first weekend. But it's going to be around for a number of months, right? In the number, hoods. So, absolutely, okay. out in the neighborhoods. Good. Uh, I just survived a two-week, 2,400-mile road trip with my wife and two children. Oh, my. Who are all still alive. What kind of road uh, trip snacks did you... Well, like, what do you get? What is your road trip go-to snack? I drink a lot of Mountain Dew. Vodka. <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> no, no, not vodka. <laughs> Uh, a lot of Mountain Dew. I, I got my caffeine addiction, and like, I, I, it's hard to get like a really good cup of tea that's, on the road. That's fair. So I drink a lot of Mountain Dew. I like Mountain Dew. I go uh, with sunflower seeds. My wife does does not really eat or drink anything in the car. She just kind of goes. And the kids, there's, a lot, of, silent, there's a lot of Chex Mix. Oh, dude, Chex Mix is so good. Yeah. Are we talking the, the bold flavor? Are we talking original? <laughs> what are we talking here? We're talking the least spicy, flavorless <laughs> variation possible. See, when I go on road trips with my wife, it's the only time I eat Funyuns, just because I know <laughs> yes. she's going to be stuck with me in a small place. <laughs> Dude, I, I feel like I've been stuck with you, Matt, and this is your back-to-back uh, -back shows for you. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this. Okay. You know, I, I absolutely adore what you guys do on this yeah. podcast. The format is so much fun. The uh, information wait, that you wait, put wait, out is good. Wait, 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 Matt, and this is not a podcast. This is a live radio broadcast. Yeah, I okay. still get to be nice. <laughs> no, you said on the podcast. Oh, apologies. Be... Live at WNUR 89.3, Evanston, Illinois. Thank you. <laughs> Dude, we, we need to get you over to V103. You ever listen to V103? No. It's it's Chicago's um, old school and R&B. Oh, man. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Do I'm they like, slow jam it down in yeah, the evenings? They do. They do. Uh, I'm probably like one of six white guys to listen to the <laughs> station. Uh, let's, let's get it on with our Chalk Talk segment. Uh, this article, it's on our website. Uh, if you have a chance right now, you can go check it out, operaboxscore.squarespace.com. And it's all about cuts in operas. And so there's this production that uh, was at the end of the season at San Francisco Opera, a production of Carmen, directed by Calixto Bieto, the Spanish director. And uh, there was about half an hour's worth of cuts taken out of a show uh, which put the whole running time under three hours, and that was with just one intermission. And there was some concern amongst audience members, amongst critics and scholars and even musicians and singers of like, why is this happening? Should we be doing this? A whole bunch of people sounded off. I got some quotes. I'll throw those out there in a little bit. But I want to hear, Toby, your opinion first on is there a, a right moment where we should be cutting an opera? Should we be doing the whole thing? Is it a case-by-case -case basis? And if so, what are the principles involved? Well, I think first we do have to talk about what exactly a cut is. In an opera, you have a composer who has written, uh, taken text from a librettist. They take that text, they set it to music, and they create a work. We normally get that in the form of a score. There are people who choose to remove parts of that work. That's what we call a cut. That was Mathen, by the way, for the listeners. Um, Helping so, explain the, yeah, the, the and terms thank you for, of the conversation. Thank you for explaining that. Um, 
I really do think, for, for me, it is a case-by-case -case basis. So I don't think that it's right, and I don't think that it's wrong. I think, you know, in this in the case of what the San Francisco Opera Company was trying to do there, I think they made the right decision for both their production and what their fans were clamoring for. Um, the article, and I really encourage people to go read this, does make a great point, too, that there are other operas. Uh, opera varies. Um, it can be anywhere from an hour, hour and a half, to six hours, if you're looking at a production um, of like something like Le Troyen, mm -hmm. um, or the Ring Cycle, and and the article makes a great point that says you know part of the 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 lure of those works is that they are monumental pieces, and that's part of why you go do a Ring Cycle. Uh, that's part of the reason that only some of the best opera houses in the world can do something uh, like Le Troyen, and we're so fortunate that we get to experience Le Troyen at uh, the Lyric this year. Um, and I don't think those deserve to be cut. I think those are kind of the things that we can keep. Now, with something like Carmen, if you're looking to do a new production and make it change the story a little bit, yes, cut it. If it's Mozart and it's Cosi Fan Tutte, yes, cut it. The plot doesn't make sense anyway. We might as well just get rid of it and <laughs> make it enjoyable for some of us. Because, and you know, they're opera purists. Well, somebody else, give me your opinion, Math, and what do you think? Because, so I guess what I'm saying. I'm all for it in certain aspect, in, in certain uh, situations, and I think sometimes it's more than necessary to make it a cohesive and enjoyable night. Absolutely. It's, when talking about something in the abstract, it always becomes a little bit of a problem because we want to say something is either good or bad. Right. But if we're speaking abstractly about opera as an art form, you can't say that something is objectively good or bad when it comes to a cut. But I do think if it is something that serves the drama, if it is something yeah. that upholds the integrity of the music, then absolutely have fun. Let your creative vision fly. George, have you seen this production? I haven't, actually. I mean, I do know Calixto Bieto's work, but he's a very smart guy and what he really is trying to do at the heart of his work is tell a story with as much impact as possible. He wants this very tightly wound piece of drama and so of course he's going to take a knife to it and he's going to cut things out. David Gockley, the just recently retired general director at San Francisco Opera, says in this article quote, I don't think we can any longer fail to hear what our audience is saying about length and he's making the same point that Tobias is making is that like, look, it's all about the audience's experience Experience. And if they need it to be shorter, not because they don't have the attention span, clearly there's operas that are five, six hours long and they have the attention span for that. But if they have uh, this need to really experience the story as with as much immediacy as possible, it needs to be shorter. Contrast that with someone like Philip Gossett, who is an eminent professor of music, mostly with uh, Verdi, I think. Am My I right? favorite musicological scholar, Verdi and Rossini particularly. Okay, exactly. He says, and again in this article, quote, if one is to study the history of opera, one finds that those repeats become very important as a basis for ornamentation, which modern audiences don't understand very well. Here he's talking about the Baroque opera form, I think, this idea of of sort of the A section, the B section, and then the A section being repeated again. But what's his point, Matt? And you're a big fan of his. I disagree with him. I want to hear your take. So um, this this book that uh, is quoted in this article is a book called D uh, Divas and Scholars, which is one of my favorite, most approachable of his sort of like scholarly texts. You could pick it up and read it. It reads like a story more than like a musicological archive. And it's really very interesting.
interesting. He breaks this issue down into basically two sides. You have your conductors who say, this is the tradition of cutting. I will uphold the tradition. And he even goes as far as to say, shame on you in his book. But if he finds nice. a conductor who says, you know, I, I don't think that this portion of the music adds anything to the drama. I don't think it's necessary. I think the singer who's doing this, it would hurt them to have it in or they have a preference to take it out. After all, all sorts of other things surrounding the production. He takes all of his information and he himself as an artist makes a uh, makes a cut. That's more than plausible. The chapter in the book that uh, that talks about cuts is actually called Seraphin Scissors, which is very, very funny about Tulio Seraphin, the conductor. Uh, if you ever you know want to read a book about obscure musicology, feel free to pick that one up. You're listening to Opera Box Score here on WNUR FM 89.3 in Chicago. Number in the studio, 847 866 9687. Give us a call. Let us know what you're thinking about cuts in opera land. Uh, Victor Derienzi is another person quoted in this article that's on our website, operaboxscore.squarespace.com. He's the artistic director and the principal conductor of Sarasota Opera. And he's quoted as warning if you eliminate too many of your intermissions, you eliminate that community aspect of performance. Tobias, you're a fan of Victor's. Do you agree with this statement? I, you know, and this is why I'm okay with what happens with cuts, be it that they happen or don't. Um, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for Maestro Dorenzi. Obviously, he's been my boss. Um, so I agree with a lot of what he said, and I would go work for him again. Um, and I actually, you'll I go tend, far, my boy. No, you'll go far. <laughs> and I tend to agree with this too, because part of what makes opera great is that you go and you have an experience. And I would say that, you know, my opera going experiences, especially in Chicago, have so many different times been enhanced by who I was with and where I was seeing the show. And that's anywhere from Chicago Fringe Opera all the way up to the Lyric or Light Opera Works or uh, Chicago Opera Theater. You know, it doesn't, it, it's enhanced by who you're with and where you're seeing the show. And so, I, if a cut affects the communal aspect, and I think in that specific instance, he's probably referencing getting rid of intermissions, um, then uh, yeah, you can have a discussion there. But as far as um, it interrupting the flow of the drama, which, Math, and I think is more your point, and the more I hear you talk about it, the more I think, well, you know, that's really important too. Um, then I think it should be avoided. Toby, you know Meister Dorenzi, and Correct. he and the staff and crew at uh, Sarasota are known as being operatic conservatives in terms of how they run their rehearsals, what they value in terms of opera. Mm -hmm. Do you see them holding up the standards of like the old Italian come scritto yes. uh, inappropriately? Whoa, 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 come scritto. I think I had that for lunch. What? What is that? <laughs> come, uh, come scritto is when referencing the uh, critical edition of a score, um, as scholars see as a critical edition, um, which is as most true to what the original uh, pieces of paper that were touched by the composer said. And so come scritto literally is Italian for as written. Um, and so the idea being that the drama, the staging, um, the orchestral marks are all exactly as, and with Sarasota's case, exactly as uh, you know, Verdi for them wrote it. And having worked there and really experienced that and then done works that don't get performed and still doing them come scritto, there is a beauty in that as an artist. As an artist, I wholeheartedly fell in love with it. And I was like, this is awesome. This is opera in its purest form. And this is, this is Aida, uncut, whole thing. You're going to be here till midnight, but man, it's going to be worth it at the end. And I love that. As an audience member, I don't know. 
Sometimes, yeah, I'm ready to get up and go. But let's you know? let's be honest. No one wants to hear Ferrando's second aria. Nobody does. In Cosi Fan Tutte. And uh, so I don't know. There, there is art. I loved the purest form as an artist. Mm-hmm. I will very much say that. Um, and then having been a patron in a seat at an opera house, I know there have been times where I'm like, goodness. I have a really Please. hard time dividing. Like, haven't you ever, Mathen, wanted to leave a performance because it was just bad and going on too long? I have done that many times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of of institutions of varying success, to say the least. But don't don't you find it hard to like differentiate between your musical nerddom that wants or your your inner completionist? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm such a completionist with video games, with books, with music. And that sometimes pulls over to weird editions of like Il Viaggio a Rain that no <laughs> one ever does. Totally. But as a music nerd, I get really excited by that. As a patron, maybe not so much. Maybe there is a good way to streamline a Carmen into a more fun Yeah, evening. but it's hard. To, it's I, So a Carmen is one thing. Uh, but get, let's get into something... We keep talking about cozy, mm-hmm. which is getting a little bit further back. It's not rock and roll opera, and you have, <laughs> I love it. You have this secco recitative, mm-hmm. um, that sometimes, man, it just you kills can't, me. you cannot cut the secco recitative. That this is where so, I will take a stand, so, though. Okay, fair. No, because Mozart wrote it like a genius. All I'm saying is that as a paying customer who sometimes maybe I got other plans on uh, on a Saturday night. I don't know. This isn't me. Please, people, it's not me. But I can very <laughs> Which much means see. This is you, Toby. I can very much see how people be like, dude, got some of that. But I will say, <laughs> get a, it a, out of my way. I think a lot of the the practice of cutting sacred recitative, which if we're if we're being honest, um, sacred recitative can be boring when it is performed poorly. That is true. I think the real can, magic, be... the real magic of opera, where the information comes, where you get those really fiery interchanges, come in sacred recitative. Now, but you, you are speaking as you are speaking as a music nerd who loves it. No, I'm speaking as a person who loves drama oh, and come music on. blended together. You can't, Dude, I don't you can't tell me opera. you sit no, in no. a in That's... a performance of Popeye or whatever, and you're like, "Oh, this is awesome!" At a t- like, I, I do, do you're checking when your it phone, is done well. Like everybody else. <laughs> 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 you know, I'm going to sound off as the as the director side of things. I mean, it all comes back to story. Here's a quote from Patrice Chereau, who was a brilliant French director, mostly from the 70s and the 80s. And he was working on this uh, production of Zalame, I think it was, Richard Strauss. And he's talking to the conductor and and, uh, Chereau says, look, let's let's cut some stuff and let's rearrange some of these scenes. And the conductor's like, that's that's insane. There would be riots in the streets if you did that. And Chereau says, you guys are killing yourselves in this classical world. Because if somebody would do the Sophocles text... Nobody would ever expect to see anything but an arranged, newly created text. New translation, new dramaturgy, maybe even new material. His point was, from the Greeks on forward, people have constantly been messing with stories, reinventing them to make them as immediate and present about this moment that we're living in here and now. And and that is what is required for audiences, and that means cuts. Ooh, I wonder if there's a new way. But a cut is totally different than doing an update. He's not talking about updates. Right, and I want to say, but what he said could, I I could see where that would veer off into somebody saying, oh, I need to make this, I need to make Rigoletto happen in Vegas. That's not the same as a cut. No, it's it's not, Um, but he's purely talking about the text here. I think you've got the wrong end of the stick. Thanks, George. 
math and final thought. <laughs> I wonder if the the conversation should not be are should we make cuts or should we not make cuts? I wonder if we could find a new way to update something like Seiko Recitative, where you're getting a lot of information, but in a boring way. If you could find a way to revitalize that, I don't know, maybe spoken dialogue in the language of the land where you are performing. Maybe there could be a whole new art form that we haven't even thought yet that could compel the dramatic aspects of this lovely music forward into the next few centuries. Let us know what you're thinking. 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Time to take a short break. We're back with our pop quiz. And as I said in the intro, this is all piano adaptations, translations, and settings of opera arias. It's harder than you think. Stick around. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More and more babies in America are being born dangerously early. So early their lives hang in the balance. Despite the best medical care, thousands don't get through the first month. Premature birth is growing at an alarming rate. It affects one in eight babies. The March of Dimes funds research to give all babies a fighting chance. Help the March of Dimes stop the crisis of premature birth. For information or to help, go to marchofdimes.com. The baby we save may be your own. Did you know that the average age when kids start to use drugs is between 13 and 14? The good news is that kids who learn a lot about the risks of drugs from their parents are half as likely to use drugs. So you need to start talking. Not sure what to say? The Partnership for a Drug-Free America's Illinois affiliate, Prevention First, has free brochures, posters, and other materials for parents, teachers, and anyone who wants to keep our kids from using drugs. For help, go to prevention.org. A message from Prevention First and WNUR. 55% of candidates for statewide office report spending at least one out of every four of their waking hours raising money for their campaigns. 23% report spending more than half their time raising money. Public Campaign is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to sweeping reform that aims to dramatically reduce the role of special interest money in America's elections and the influence of big contributors in American politics. To learn more, visit www.publiccampaign.org. That's P U B L I C A M P A I G N. This message brought to you by WNUR. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Pop quiz. Oh, boy. 
Welcome back to the show. George Cedarquist here on Opera Box Score, hanging out with Tobias Wright. I'm here. I'm ready for a pop quiz. I'm ready to lose a pop quiz. And although he's not on that intro, Math and Black. I'm starting to think you only have me on when the pop quizzes are really hard. This is not the hardest it's ever been. I I think you guys are going to be just fine. I've enjoyed the break from the pop quizzes because it saved me from looking like an idiot (laughs) for a couple weeks. But I'm excited to get back. All right. Well, let me set it up for you. And actually, one of our listeners, Kenny, out in Flint, Michigan, he put this one together for us. So big shout out to you. Appreciate it. Here's how it works. I've got seven tracks lined up. These are piano interpretations, shall I say, of a range of opera arias. Your guys' job, you're working together, is twofold. I need you to identify... The show, the composer, the aria. I feel like you got to do all that to get one point. And if you can get the pianist, I'll give you a second point. It's Billy Joel, right? Every one of them. Every is one Joel. of them. Is what I would be saying. If, uh, <laughs> so 14 points possible. I, I want you guys to get 10 or more. Holy. Okay. Yeah, okay. I do. I do. Okay. So you're going to have to know a couple of pianists. Uh, maybe there'll be a bonus point or two. All right. Let's get right to it. Here is your first clip. What you got? Lobo M. Uh, Mathen, would, would you like to add anything to the guess? It is. It's it's from Lobo M, but it sounds like a French composer <laughs> doing a piano description. You know, at first I thought it was Manon. You know, I did too. It sounds a little Massonet. It sounds really Chopin y, though. Like Chopin went to Massonet and decided to write this from Lobo M. Yeah, I, like- I'm so embarrassed for you right now. Is it Madame Butterfly? It is Madame Butterfly. Oh, no one likes that bum, opera anyway. Bum, 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 bum. Sorry. Unbeldi. It was right? Unbeldi. Yeah. It we was. are both men. We don't pay attention to soprano You knew arias. that, though. You knew that. So I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. Uh, no, it was really weird, though. It started out at the beginning with the... Yeah, okay. So, no, it that started was in a weird spot. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I give you that. Uh, John Bayless, the pianist. There was no way you were no going to know that. Fun fact, that <laughs> album, the Puccini album, Arias for Piano, was... Uh, the top of the classical music charts for 18 weeks. Really? In 1993. Wow. I mean, it was beautiful. Ah, crap, though. Is the pianist also the composer? I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, I'm pian- upset. the pianist also did the arrangement. But he feels real proud of himself. Okay, so you got you got one point on that just by the hairs of your chinny chin chin. <laughs> or, or the beard, I should say, if I'm in Mathen's case. Uh, all right, here's your second clip. My beard's just chopped liver over here in the corner of See, the dude, studio. You have a bad beard. It's not my fault. Whoa! It's, this escalated quickly. Your beard, Toby, is like very closely trimmed. But Mathen is Mathen's working on like the big, the I'm big beard. I'm substantial. Over. Aren't you hot though, dude? Like, aren't <laughs> no, you really hot lovely. with that beard? 
Okay. Oh, I can't believe it was my, right. it was Unbeldi. I feel like an idiot. My master's degree has been revoked. It has. Yes, we're going to burn it in the alley after the show. Ooh. Here's your second clip. Pretty heavy listening, Mathen Tobias. Thoughts. I call so much shenanigans on this. I have no idea what this is. I really don't know. Okay, it's uh, this is. I'll give you a huge hint. Okay. It's, it's one of the few Wagner operas I haven't seen. Parsifal. No, we we talked about this. Yeah, we did talk about this. On it's a, uh, oh, it's Lohengrin. Meister singer. Yeah, it's Meister singer. It's the but Act One Prelude. Let's be really honest. Here's why that's hard. Okay. What instruments is a piano replacing there? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, All brass the and stuff. full orchestra. Okay, but, though, but even if we should that, play it again. It's just, it. The heaviness of those chords, those blocky chords, I mean, doesn't that sound like Wagner to you? No. Not on a piano. Really? Well, okay, no, it probably does sound like it on the piano if you're more familiar with the piece, and I've never seen Meister Singer either. Yeah. Wow, I that like this one. S- Kenny, thank you. I'm enjoying this. Now, I can't you're embarrassing I- me, but in a very positive yeah, way. Now, the pianist on this one, this is one of the few pianists that you might know. This is he's a, It's a big name pianist. He Delton was a, John. He was a t- <laughs> Hold on. I, I wish. He's a, he was a weird guy. This pianist was a very weird guy. He's from Canada. Any, does, does that help you at all? Uh, duh, is there a school? His first and last name start him? with the same letter. Glenn Gould. Yes, Glenn Gould. Okay, so you're, you're there's, gonna, there's a school there, Glen Gould School of Music, right? I thought he played uh, yes, ad. yes. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you guys got three points. I'm going to give you two points because you got Glen Gould with all the hints, and 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 I knew that the Meister Singer. You knew that I hadn't seen Meister Singer, so you put it all together. Tony, all right. I'm proud of you. Uh, I'm, no, I no, I'm mortified. You're doing Ku proud. Thanks, <laughs> Toby. You really have to get this next one right. Here we go. No, don't say that to me. The boys are, are singing along in the background. Okay. All right, knock it down, boys. Bella figlia dell'amore, the quartet from Nailed Rigoletto. It. Yeah, exactly. Way to go. Uh, that was a good one. That mm-hmm. was a good one. And you can see why I said you should get it, because you just spent the whole year doing Verity down in Sarasota, Toby. I did a thing. 
Uh, the pianist, I, I, I have no idea who this person is, so I can't believe you're going to get it. He was born in Odessa in 1911. In the Ukraine? Odessa. In Ukraine, not the Ukraine, just Ukraine. Sometimes I say things. All right, was he born in Odessa, Texas? <laughs> Home of Friday Night Lights. <laughs> Shura Cherkovsky was the pianist, and oh, no, he was not born. On the tip of my tongue. It was. Uh, but you got a point for that. So you're at four now, and we're moving right along with our fourth clip. I, I have good feelings about this. You guys get into ten points. Here we go. Nothing's getting hot and bothered over here on my left. You must know what it is, buddy. Yeah, this is Carmen. Mm-hmm. These is Carmen. Um, it's the trio between Carmen and the two girls. Yeah. Is yep. it the Gypsy song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, although this freaked me out because that first arpeggiation mm-hmm. actually sounds like an arpeggiation from Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. Oh, man, did that blast you know my brain. I kind of <laughs> like this exercise because it, t- it makes... Uh, I don't know how to say this. It puts all of the operas on a level playing field yes. with the same instrumentation. Good point. Very good uh, point. It's a really interesting way to go about mm-hmm. listening. I'm enjoying it. What's interesting, too, is that like as an audience member, you go to the opera and you hear that full orchestra play. But as the director, you're hanging out in the rehearsal room for three weeks, four weeks. And what you're hearing of that score is just the piano. Yeah. Right. And man, when you get into the orchestra with the orchestra for the first time, it's like... It's like you're on drugs. Like well, your whole it changes black and white span. to color. It changes the yeah. It changes black the entire and white scope color. of it. Exactly. All right. So you guys are up to five points now. Out of a total. Uh, although you, I didn't get, give you a chance to guess the pianist on that uh, Carmen excerpt. This is one of the other like truly well-known pianists. Yeah. If you have a name, you could throw it out. This is Benjamin J. Folds. <laughs> Christopher O'Reilly. Uh, it's Vladimir Horowitz. Um, actually. Oh, actually, okay. <laughs> Please tell me that you've heard of him. Yes. Good. Okay. Phew. Uh, so no point there, unfortunately. But we got three more clips to go. Do you go. think there's a radio show about only piano? I'm sure there is. Piano Dude, jazz. There's probably like five radio shows about. But piano. like, where they? Oh God, there's so many smart people. R.I.P. Marion McPartland. Here we go. Clip number five.
We're in the middle of our pop quiz here on Opera Box Score. You're listening to WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Number in the studio, 847-866-9687. Give us a call if you want to play pop quiz with us on an upcoming show. That's our fifth clip. The boys have got five points, Tobias and Math, and they're looking for another five with just two more clips to go after this one. What do you got, guys, on this last clip here? This is so hard. This is really tough. Determining what's actual melodic material yeah. and what's ancillary material yeah. Yeah. is very difficult. I have to say something. I don't, I'm not sure of the piece, mm-hmm. but may I take a stab at who did the transcription? You, you can. Okay. So in my opinion, that sounded different than all the other ones, yeah. uh, just from a color and richness sound. Mm-hmm. I would say that was probably transcribed by Liszt. I think so as and well. And part of the reason being, if you listen... List of his Schubert transcriptions are amazing. I don't know what this particular piece was, but I would have to say that was list. It was it was list. I that was boom. That was pretty impressive. I get my master's degree back. You do. I'm so glad that I haven't burnt it yet. Uh, I, getting this piece would be very very difficult. May, I, may I ask a question? Yeah, yeah, question. yeah, yeah. I, I would ponder a guess. Yeah. I think because we know it's list, I mm-hmm. think it is um, Faust. Well, it's not. It's not Faust. No. no, it's it's by Bellini. Is it Norma? It is Norma. Yes, oh. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you which act. Though. I don't know what material that yeah, is. Yeah, well. I'm not sure either. Well, it's really sad. So she's probably burning her children on a pyre. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a point though for the list thing. I thought that was pretty impressive. Thank you. Great now, job. Toby. These last two are both 20th century. I'll throw that out there right now. Okay. See what you can make of clip number six. So uh, this is this is actually I think pretty straightforward. I mean, I'm looking at the answer obviously, but oh. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think? Well, it sounds uh jazzy yeah. early 20th century. I'm thinking 20s, 30s something. Yeah, exactly. It makes us think like it, if someone in this style makes us think of Gershwin or mm-hmm. it also makes us think mm-hmm. of some of the things that Leonard Bernstein did. Mm-hmm. Yes. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking probably if it's not contrasting with the jazz elements, it's probably Porgy and Bess. I that was my thought with at the very beginning. Tobias, do you want to Differ from Mathen. No, because that was one of the thoughts. So, and if we're competing together for these points, are, are you sure, Tobias? Mathen said "Poor Game Bass" uh, by Gershwin. Are you positive yeah. you want to agree? Yes. It could also be "Street Scene" by Kurt Vile. Okay, never seen "Street but Scene." But what are you so going to go with? I'm going with "Poor Game Bass." I'm terribly sorry. Yeah. That you're right. Oh! Yeah! Radio Entertainment. <laughs> Borgy Bass, George awesome. Gershwin. Played by Dude, we got all the points. You got, well, you didn't know the pianist. Well, we oh. didn't know any of the pianists. The pianist was Earl Wilde. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, Earl Wild. Oscar's second cousin. <laughs> Oscar's more narcissistic <laughs> cousin. Wild without an E, so it's no relation. Oh, but uh, no, I definitely give you a point for that. So you're at, you're at seven. So if you can run the gamut on this last one, you're going to get nine, and that will be very close to. Do we know any goal. pianists? Uh, I don't think we've gotten one right. Okay, this this last piece. Um, we're still 20th century here because I helped still, a ton. You're, you're still 20th century here, and you've got to you got to think outside the box a little bit on this one. I'm, I'm going to give okay. you that hint. All right. We got a hint for that, right? You do get a hint. Okay. Well, so, can I just say yeah, yeah. that I know this melody. Okay. And the lyrics are um, all night through, all I do is dream of you the whole night through. But <laughs> Right. Yeah. What is, what is this? It's, it's, it's catchy. So, it, it, it's, it's, it's from a movie, it's from an opera related movie. That's, that's my hint. That's Lies and blasphemy. Uh, I can't say much more than that without little rascals it, without giving it away. It's from the Fifth Element. <laughs> it's not from. Wait, wait, wait. It's from Quantum the, of Solace. The, the, the movie, it's, earlier, the movie itself is about opera. It is. Is this from A Night at the Opera, the <laughs> Marx Brothers is. movie? Dude, that was fantastic, Mathen. What is the? What's this musical material? It's it's Chico Marx. It's in the scene when Chico is is doing this little piano solo from Night at the Opera, nineteen thirty five, and it's yeah, I'm pretty sure it's that song. I feel so much better wrote. about not knowing so. who the composer was there. Yeah, Chico Marx. Yeah, exactly. I only even know about this because my wife incessantly makes me watch the Gilmore Girls. That has no bearing whatsoever. In Except season on- four, when Yori, Rory goes to Yale, she goes on a date, and all they do is talk about the Marx Brothers and Duck Soup. Okay, get out of this studio. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody talks about Gilmore Girls on this show, okay? <laughs> well, boys, you, uh, what did you get? Seven? Eight? We got 12 points. That is 12 points. You got points. <laughs> well, thanks, Kenny, very much for the pop quiz. That was really fun. I do I have to say, I'm very surprised that Kenny didn't put the list transcription of Oduman Holder Abenstern from Meisterzinger on this. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. It's yeah, one of it's the most good. well-known pieces and so beautiful. We're going to step aside for one second. You're listening to Opera Box Score on WNUR FM Evanston, Chicago. Time for a short break. We're going to come back with the two-minute drill. Stick around. 
That is for my Schrodinger, right? You're listening to Opera Box Score. Chicago area residents. Its five programs include a 24-hour crisis line, residential services, children's program, community resource services, and domestic violence prevention and education program. Rainbow House has sites in the Lawndale, Little Village, and Morgan Park areas of Chicago. For more information, go to www.rainbowhouse.org. That's rainbow-house.org. This message brought to you by WNUR. Three tours driving Humvees in Afghanistan. Twelve years flying choppers. When my sister came back from her last tour in Afghanistan, she didn't want to talk about it, but she knew I was there to listen. Sometimes my husband still has difficult memories. They can be overwhelming. With the Veterans Crisis Line, I know where to turn when we need support. I made the call and got support for my sister. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for all veterans and their loved ones. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38 and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brothers Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. uh, Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you say an opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time for the fastest headlines in opera news. It's the two-minute drill. The Sydney Opera House will undergo a major renovation, its largest since opening in 1973. The New South Wales Deputy Premier and Minister for the Arts, Troy Grant, announced that the NSW government has committed $202 million to their renewal plans, including upgrading the acoustics and the accessibility, efficiency, and flexibility of the Opera House's largest internal performance space. Stefan Herheim's acclaimed staging of Wagner's Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg, which wowed audiences at the Salzburg Festival in 2013, was headed to the Metropolitan Opera, but it won't fit the Met stage. And what's more, the Norwegian director, who's 46, has broken up with his set designer, creating further snags, and the Met will now borrow Harry Kupfer's production from Zurich. Russian soprano Anna Trebko once said she would never sing at the Bayreuth Festival as she found the German language too difficult, but artistic director Katarina Wagner has now issued a statement saying, we're still talking to her about the possibility of future collaboration. 
Thomas Addis' new opera, The Exterminating Angel, which is based on Louis Buñuel's 1962 film of the same name, has premiered at the Salzburg Festival to rave reviews. Addis is also known for his opera, powder her face. Patrice Munzel has died at the age of 91. She was the Mets' youngest ever debutante when in 1943, at the age of 17, she sang her first role, and she went on to become a house fixture as Adele in Die Fledermaus by Strauss. Director Kay Walker-Castaldo has died of a brain tumor at age 67. She was a regular director around the USA and was also an associate professor at the University of Michigan. Lastly, an omission from an earlier version of this segment in the past week, pianist and conductor Lloyd Ariola died last month at age 43. Raised in San Francisco, Lloyd received his Doctorate of Musical Arts in Piano from Juilliard in 2002, and he was the first person of Filipino descent to receive his doctoral degree from that institution. That's the two-minute drill. So, boys, welcome back to the show. Opera Box Score here, George Cedarquist, along with Tobias Wright. I'm here, and I just want to, really quick, before we get into our discussion about the two-minute yeah. two drill, say thank you to uh, our friend Kenny for sending in that um, that quiz. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Also on the show, Math and Black. A pleasure to be here, as always. There, You will not have more fun on live radio about opera than with these gentlemen. That's a very small... Um, hey, 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 hey. Take the title, the George. There are dozens Let's of Let's have us. our title. Dozens. Title. <laughs> uh, so that's the two-minute drill. Who wants to go first? I would content? love to. I would love to go first. Go ahead, Toby. No, I'm just kidding. You're the guest. Guest first. Nothing. <laughs> I'm so excited about this new Thomas Addis opera. I heard about this the other day and can't wait to get my hands on a copy of the score or recording. I love Thomas Addis. The way he breaks tonality and rhythm and is messing with our modern conceptions while still really holding tightly to dramatic impetus is exactly what I think opera needs today. Um, not only was Powder Her Face very controversial and cool, but his production of Shakespeare's The Tempest is phenomenal. You can actually right. find a recording that the Met did live in HD with Alex Schrader, with Isabella Leonard, with Simon Keenly's side, and it is so very good. I, I really hope that it comes to the U.S. at Me some too. point. It was reviewed in the L.A. Times uh, and, and the New York Times as well. Strange fact that I just read is that Stephen Sondheim's next musical is also an adaptation of The Exterminating Angel, really? the Louis Bignot film. Isn't that weird? Wow. That yeah, is kind of crazy. Kind of an uh, odd coincidence, I guess. Tobias, what are you thinking? Uh, I think the updates to the Sydney Opera House, I think that's pretty great. Um, especially, it, it's an... It's an old building. It's a super famous building. Um, I think it's way past due to be a flagship opera house for an entire nation um, and to be as acoustically incorrect as it was. So I think that's awesome. I think that's exciting because that shows that there's a commitment um, to putting forth the best possible product to bring people to our art form. And I think that's fantastic. I didn't give you this stat in the two-minute drill, but so they're spending $200 million. Yeah, and I'd read that previously this week. It's and the amount of money that apparently the Sydney Opera House generates for New South Wales, which is the territory, I guess, in Australia, it generates almost $800 million. Isn't that wow. incredible? That is insane. I mean, it's a, it's a Those landmark. Numbers are it's insane. a national landmark. It is. It is. Yeah, it's very absolutely. interesting that probably the most famous and recognizable opera house in the entire world is not a fixture in terms of uh, being a theater. So it's going to be very cool to see if this boosts it into the world stage performance-wise. You hope you hope that it will because that's a, it's a huge investment that they're making. Also, if you're in Chicago and go to the Legoland downtown at Water Tower Place, they have a huge... 
Sydney Opera House set. and a Death Star, so you know you can pick whichever one you want. You you pick your Opera House or the Death Star, but Dude, whatever. Let me just tell you that my son Ben wants the Sydney Opera House Lego set, and it's four hundred dollars. Oh, and oh not, I know how much. He's not getting it. All right, let's make a deal. I'll pitch in for it for his Christmas present only if I get to come over and help him build it. That's a very slippery slope. Will you to buy go me down. the Millennium Falcon? I'm, I'm not. I'm not buying no Millennium Falcons, no Death Stars, no. <laughs> Ewok you villages. Will, you will have no Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I, let me just say about this this uh, Stefan Herheim uh, article that popped up in the two minute drill. So he did this production of, of Meister Singer, and I've seen the photos of it. First of all, Herheim is a fabulous director, 46 years old. I would love his career. He is so imaginative. He's such a great thinker. I've seen his work before. Uh, this production, go do yourself a favor, go find the photos online. And what a just a, a tr- tragedy that. He and the Met could not work it out. Couldn't there's the show is supposed to be at the Met in 2019, and I guess I can't blame him. I mean, you design this piece, and the the theater in Salzburg for the Salzburg Festival. It is an odd shape. It's like very very wide. The Met is actually very very tall, right, and rather narrow. And if you're him, you're gonna be like, no, I'm not changing the design. I'm not messing with the perspective of this piece just to squeeze it into the mat. I'm sorry. Now he's got these problems with his set designer and they're kind of, they're on the rocks. So I, that I can't explain, but we're the losers. That's all I can say uh. now is that we're the losers that we're not going to get to see this show. So uh, let me also just say as well, just the, the two obituaries that I pointed out for um, Kay Castaldo and for Lloyd Ariola, both people that I know and just again, what a what a tragedy! Um, she was a fantastic director. We we talked on email a lot. She was so inventive and so imaginative. Just did great work. And you know, Lloyd, he he played piano at Chicago Summer Opera two seasons ago really? when I was there on the staff. Yeah, and he was just lovely. He was just a big guy. You know, he was he was a sweater. <laughs> you know, people who just like sweat a lot because uh. they're just like just busting their butt to to do whatever it is that they love and he was definitely a sweater you know because he just <laughs> he put he put everything he left it all out there he put everything into his music and man 43 i just yeah too young thank you for sharing that with us i George. know it's crazy so uh patrice menzel was the other obituary as well that was crazy her first role at the met at 17 17 when you when you got it you got it i guess so and I think that was such a different time, too, for singers. It was at a time when it was like, if you can sing, go sing. If you love singing that, go sing it. And it wasn't, oh, someday my voice will mature and I'll be able to be a lyric soprano. It was like, nah, go now. If yeah. you can learn it and put it on the page and do it in a healthy way, babe, let's go. And I wish there was more of that. And I encourage a lot of young people to really, if you think something feels good, go sing it. Because maybe you're right. Maybe you are right. And that's not to fly in the face of institutions, but maybe... Trust what feels good, and trust what you fall in love with singing. In the words of the great Shia LaBeouf, don't let your dreams be dreams. Oh my gosh, here I am trying to like spill my heart out, and you bring up Shia LaBeouf. Hey. Um, and this is on the heels of bringing up the Gilmore Girls. Toby, yeah, don't nothing. let your dreams be dreams. <laughs> don't let my dreams be dreams. Go for it! <laughs> don't, don't dream it, be it, in the words of Dr. Frank and Furter from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Have you heard about this new remake that Fox is doing? 
of of Rocky, of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay, it's in the. Ne- you the can next... have fifteen more seconds to tell me about it. It's the wait, next... wait. Why are we giving fifteen seconds away for that? Now it's down to ten. Because I don't want him to ruin it. It's not because we're running out of time. The next in three. the series of the Fox Live Shh. musicals is going to be Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it's going to be lovely. This is like the Christmas time one. Oh, I think? like the I think li- so. oh the live ones. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. It's usually like a holiday thing, right? Isn't it like between Thanksgiving and Christmas? I'm not sure. They Rocky did. They, okay, sh- they did the Wiz. They the... did Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. Grease. They did Grease, Grease as well. Yep. And Rocky is the next one. Isn't that weird? Who's a in it? Weird Do you know who's in it? Um, it's one of the act. Um, one of the the people from Orange Is the New Black, and then I can't remember who the other people were. It looks hmm. fabulous. We'll cover it on here. I'm all I, about that. I would cover that. I am a huge Rocky Horror fan. I would, man, I would dress up and like do the floor show, you know, and yeah. there's like the thing happening mm-hmm. below the movie screen. Throw in popcorn and newspaper. Uh, that's like what the audience does, but I would like dress up and be part of the people that are reenacting the show as it's being projected onto the screen above. Would you be Rocky in that tiny little swimsuit? I, I was actually the criminologist, oh, like nice. the one person who doesn't wear drag. I'd ride my motorcycle in and I'd be Meatloaf. He would be Meatloaf. I would go to just see it. You've me. never seen Rocky Horror? Never, no. Toby. Don't let your dreams be dreams. I got to tell you, I grew up in rural Kansas. Nobody was too interested. Okay, so Rocky World Picture Show hasn't made it to Kansas yet, apparently. Well, my my parents have seen it. (laughs) I just haven't. I'm sorry. Your parents have seen it? Haven't seen Star Wars either. Or Lord of the Rings. Which one have you seen? I'm carrying all my dirty laundry on the air right now. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Also, I never read a single Harry Potter or saw any of those. Okay, okay. Stop. I just, no. (laughs) It's time to wrap this show up. playing in dirt. Good call, bad call. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. Talk about being saved. Uh, Toby, I don't want to hear any more of these admissions from you about what you have and haven't seen. I think my admissions of having having not seen television shows is more of an insight into the fact that I was busy living a real life and not sitting on a couch. You were like, we were like farming. Did you work farm out in Kansas? I have never worked on a farm per se. Like I never went out and planted corn. Okay. But I've done a little bit of everything. I've roofed houses. I've worked construction. I've cut down trees. It's whatever. Yes, I've done a lot. Uh, math and but black. But no, I'm not a farmer. Like, do you and... have a good call or a bad call? Yeah, absolutely. What you got? Um, today, chorus rehearsals started at the Lyric Opera of Chicago. I am not a part of the Lyric Opera Chorus, but it's always such a cool thing to see how many people are employed in that building and get to help pay their rent and their groceries through music. I love that. Very, very good call. Tobias Wright. Um, a good call is that we took some time off. I'm glad that we're back. We're, we're getting into a time where we're going to be super busy, and I'm looking so forward to getting out to seeing more performances, to talking about them on the air, to spreading the word about what's going on, at least in our hometown of Chicago, because there's so much that's going to be happening very soon. I got a good feeling we're going to be bringing back Absolutely. the Monday evening quarterback yes. segment where we review shows and we hand out some letter grades and try and talk about this beautiful high art form in the lowest possible terms. My bad call, and this is already a couple weeks old by now, it's just been a while since I've been on the show, is that the Opera Now podcast is ending. Three more episodes? Four more episodes? Something like that? I, I just cannot believe it. I mean, they, you know, Michael Rice, Oliver Camacho, our creative consultant, uh, Doug Dodson, I mean, these guys, they started the genre. You know, they've been doing it, what, nine, ten years? Ten years. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I was only started listening in the last year or so and, and have been totally captivated by it. So just totally bummed out that, that they are um, hanging up those headphones. Excited for them to move on, but man, we're going to miss them. 
That's it for tonight's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. For WNUR, our programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brock Stussy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Opera Box Score. Be sure to like our Facebook page, and if you know people who would enjoy our show, help us spread the word, share our posts. On our website, operaboxscore.squarespace.com, you can stream archived episodes and learn more about our team, and you can always email us at operaboxscore@gmail.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast version of our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a review and let us know what you want to hear more of on our show. We're back live on Monday, 22nd of August at 9 p.m. Central when we go inside the huddle and interview a unique mystery guest that you won't want to miss. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. Special thanks to Math and Black for joining us on the air at the last minute. For Tobias Wright, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera at your summer cottage. Street Beat is up next. You're listening to WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment.